it's hard to find that balance when your office is a few feet from your kitchen and you're not really separating your work life and your family life. Balance is super different for every person. For some, it means not working on the weekend. For some, it means knocking out work late at night so they can focus on the weekend. For others, it means taking a regular vacation. For some, it may mean never taking a vacation. Just understanding where people are at so you can respect what balance means to people. Right now, it's uniquely challenging. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Andrew Darvin, humor engineer. And I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. Andrew and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we both had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about how they got their start, how they make it work, and what keeps them going. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee, or in my case, hot chocolate. On today's show, we're talking to P&G alumni leader, Tammy Hurwitz, the VP of Global Marketing and Growth at Amazon Music. Yeah, what I enjoyed about this conversation was it was really about working across some really cool industries. Yeah, you know, as a music nerd and a tech nerd, just so much respect for kind of how she's taken her career. So here's a quick bio. Tammy has been at Amazon leading marketing for Amazon Music since 2017, working on campaigns featuring Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, Chance the Rapper, Alicia Keys, reaching more than 55 million customers worldwide. She spent nine years as a general manager at Microsoft, working on digital demand and data efforts. And of course, she got her start at P&G, where she spent 14 years across marketing leadership roles, from coffee to club, working across the US, Europe, and even Latin America and Argentina. She's been named one of the top women executives in music by Billboard magazine, and she lives just outside of Seattle with her family. Yeah. What I love is how she talks about, you know, and especially with her current role, like the power of music. And you can tell she has a great passion for it. And I think when you can work on a product you know is adding value to people's lives, like that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. Yeah. And you know, now more than ever, we're all kind of stuck at home, stuck in our own heads, not seeing our friends and family. And some of the things they've been able to do in this moment that we're in, it's making a real difference in people's lives. And, you know, we actually talked a little bit about her leaving PNG and how leaving was a really hard decision. And that really resonated with me, Drew, because, you know, a lot of us spent the beginnings of our careers there. And, you know, how do you go from, everything you know to kind of taking this massive leap. And I mean, what about you, Drew? Like you were you were a big tech person at PG and all of a sudden <laughs> you're doing almost entertainment is kind of your your feel now. How did that work? Yeah, well, yeah, that entertainment plus education piece. But it is interesting because I think no matter whether it's a, a, a PNG or, you know, that first role, whatever it is for people, there's there's a kind of security that comes with it once you know it. And there's a fear, at least I had this fear of leaving and being like, what if I miss PNG? And like, what if it's, can I even get rehired again if I've, if I've, <laughs> I've left? But uh, at the end of the day, you know, my passion for teaching people how to be more effective ultimately surpassed my passion for project management. And I just decided, you know, this is a thing that I have to, to get out and, and try. And so certainly a hard decision, but ultimately a good decision, at least for me. But you've done the same thing, right? You went from being a media and marketing person at 
more traditional companies, then two startups, and then now to whatever it is that you do right now. I'm not entirely sure. Okay, what would you say I'm doing right now? <laughs> you know, you do this, that, something, something, and podcasts. Podcasts is a thing I know you do. Yeah, with three out there and a few more launching, right? It, here's what I would say, and we're bringing it back to Tammy. She talks about always being curious and always taking on new challenges. And to me, that's just great career advice. I don't think we ever have the answers, but if you have like a curiosity and an appetite to learn and grow, that's where success comes from. And that's honestly how she talks about the love of her current work and what she's enjoying and what she's doing in the market. So we hope you all enjoy our conversation with Tammy. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So Tammy, a lot of people may already know your professional story. You've been at Amazon leading marketing for Amazon Music since 2017. You've worked on campaigns featuring Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, Chance the Rapper, Alicia Keys. Your work reaches more than 55 million customers worldwide. And you've even recently launched Amazon's foray into podcasts, which I'm personally excited about. You spent nine years as general manager at Microsoft working on digital demand and data efforts. And of course, you got your start at P&G, where you spent 14 years in a broad range of marketing leadership roles, from coffee to club, working across the US, Europe, and even Latin America. And there is so much in there I want to ask about. But I think folks would really love to hear a little bit more about who you were before your career journey. Can you tell us an early story from your youth? Absolutely. So I was reflecting on that and thinking about how I used to always want to be a lawyer. I really? was pretty hooked on LA law <laughs> growing up. I also grew up in LA, so that might be why I loved that show. And I was on the debate team, pretty nerdy, I know, but went to the state debate championships in California. And so I was pretty convicted that, that I was going to be a lawyer. And I even interned one summer at a law firm. And even in college, thought that was going to be my path. And at some point, I suddenly learned about a whole new world, which was brand management and marketing, and it kind of swayed me away. But early on, I really thought I was going to end up in the legal profession. How does, because I accidentally landed in marketing and at P&G, I thought P&G was a law firm, fun fact, because I can't <laughs> just like it. <laughs> yeah, it does. I didn't know the world of brands and marketing. What was your introduction to that? Well, so this is kind of funny. I got really fortunate that John Pepper was a Yale alum. And he would recruit along with many other Yale PNGers on campus. And I got invited to what was called a spring break externship, where again, I was pretty nerdy. Instead of spending spring break partying in Florida or somewhere <laughs> You're learning fun, to write one-page memos. <laughs> I flew to Cincinnati to do this one-week externship where they let us experience all the different functions from product supply to finance to brand management. And, and that was really my first introduction to it. And it seemed really interesting, this notion that you could run your own business and learn from the ground up and manage a PL. It just seemed extraordinary if I could actually land a job like that coming right out of school. So as we kind of contrast with that young woman in LA watching LA Law or, or <laughs> the person spring breaking in Cincinnati... Fast forward to today, how are you similar or different from that young woman? I think a few things are, are similar. One is that at that time, I think I had a lot of drive. I still think I have a lot of drive and really want to learn, have a lot of curiosity, really want to grow, really want to improve. And I think 
you know, back then I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be when I grew up. But regardless of what I ended up doing, I knew I wanted to be very successful at it and I wanted to keep learning. And I've continued to live those principles now. And if I'm ever in a situation or position where I don't feel like I'm learning or I don't feel like I'm challenged, that's usually a sign to me that it's time to either approach something different or expand what I'm doing. Yeah. I've had past bosses tell me it's something like almost like a curious impatience. You know, if, if you're not learning, you're not growing. It, it's easy to get bored really fast. Absolutely. And I, I do get bored really fast. So at least <laughs> I know that about myself. <laughs> so you jump in, you, after the externship, you wind up in Cincinnati. Are, are there any defining early career moments, some important lessons that you learned early on? Yeah. You know, what's interesting was I actually didn't stay in Cincinnati very long. I had this incredible opportunity before I was even 25 years old to move to Buenos Aires, Argentina with Proctor as my first brand manager assignment. And I think I'd only been at PNG three years ish, if that. And that really was, I think, the defining career moment for me. I moved thousands of miles away, operated in a different language with Spanish went to what was a super competitive market at the time in terms of competition and managed for the first time. So it was a lot of change for me. And, and I can't say I did it all perfectly, but throwing myself into that challenge and working through the business and, op and organizational opportunities there really, I think, defined my career in terms of the types of challenges I, I chose to embrace later on. You know, you've actually told this one story before about launching a product, I think it was in Argentina, and then finding out a product was launching with the same name. It, can you tell that story? Yes. And this may not sound real, but it's all 100% true. But when I went to visit Buenos Aires on my look-see visit before taking the role, I was walking down the street and saw a billboard for Ariel, but we hadn't launched Ariel detergent yet. That's the job I was going down there to do. But the billboard used the tagline, synonym of toilet seats. Ariel is the synonym of toilet seats. And it was a picture of someone sitting on a toilet seat. And I'm really not, oh I, I'm really not <laughs> making this up. It turned out that Unilever, who didn't want us to enter the market, had actually paid a local toilet seat company who happened to have that name a million dollars to run media to try to disparage the name so we wouldn't launch the product. And so I remember turning to Carlos Pasaldon, who was the country manager, and said, what is this? And he said, you know, Tammy, we didn't want to tell you this because we <laughs> didn't know if you'd accept the job, but here's what's going down. And, and I said, sign me up. I'm in. This sounds amazing. And we ended up launching about a year later, but we were able to get tremendous PR because we were able to say, hey, remember those weird toilet seat ads <laughs> that you saw? That's because we're launching the number one detergent in the world, the best detergent in the world here in Argentina. And, and that is what they did to keep us from launching. And so as a result, we actually turned it into a competitive advantage for us and got really compelling brand awareness just from reminding people of that crazy ad they saw walking down the street. <laughs> That's like a real judo move, a judo PR move almost. <laughs> oh, we had a number of those. It, it was such a competitive marketplace that we we got to get really, really creative in our marketing, which was what was so fun about it. Are there any 
other examples or stories that stand out from that time in your career? Yeah, I think, gosh, there's so many. One of my favorites was Skip Detergent, which was Unilever's detergent, started wrapping buildings with full building billboards, which were really cool, like building wraps, marketing their brand. And we were able to purchase some of the billboards on top of the buildings for Ariel (laughs) and use the tagline, something to the effect of always superior with the plan words on right on top of superior. And I think it caused them to, if I recall, to take down some of their building wraps because we one up them, so to speak. So that one was fun. The other one I, I remember, I'll never forget. They started airing an advertisement showing Ariel breaking someone's detergent, like overflowing with suds. And we really were concerned because we certainly didn't want our customers to think that we would break their very expensive washing machine. And so there was no governing body over advertising in Argentina at the time. So there was no government agency we could go to to protest the false claims. So what we did is we essentially created a different ad that basically showed one of their demonstrations failing, which was actually true. We were able to show that our product was superior and we shipped the ad after creating it over a weekend to the network. The network then showed it to the competitor and they realized this was just going to be bad if all of this advertising was airing and they took their disparaging ad down without us ever having to air ours. And so it, it became a bit of a standoff, but really guerrilla tactics were the only thing that worked at that point. What's interesting is it sounds like your approach to fighting fire with fire never sacrificed the principles. It was like, we're going to show you what the truth is and we're going to market that way. Were there ever any moments in your career where something didn't work out the way you thought it was going to? I think the one that really sticks out for me was actually leaving Procter & Gamble. And you know, as well as anyone, that a lot of people join PNG feeling like they will be there for life. And in many cases, people grow their careers there. And when I was there, and, and I was there almost 14 years, I don't think I'd updated my resume for many years. And in, in fact, <laughs> maybe I'd never updated it. And I, I hadn't actively networked and I never really thought about leaving. And when I was working on the coffee business as the marketing director, for Folgers Coffee and, and, and also Millstone Coffee and, and some other coffees we had launched, the company made the decision to divest the coffee business. And it was a real fork in the road for me because I had to really think about what I wanted to do. And, and I would say initially, it felt really terrible. I was very concerned about what it meant for me. I had never really thought about leaving. I probably could have stayed and, and moved into a different role. But it was a bit of a wake-up call where it just never crossed my mind that I could be sold or that the business I worked on could be sold, let alone be a part of the work as the director on the business. And so that that was a real wake-up call for me at the time. So you wound up leaving, and I, I think you went over to Microsoft eventually. And what was that contrast like, going from big Midwestern CPG company to one, the, one of the titans of tech on the West Coast? What was the differences you saw between the two? Well, first of all, I should say that Well, it was a very challenging time for me kind of thinking through the implications of the divestiture on on my team and and on me. I received a lot of support. The P&G mentors I had and the people I worked with were incredibly supportive, helping me think through various options, both inside P&G or with the coffee business or, or leaving. 
And I was able to do a really thoughtful search and really think through what did I want. And at that time, the area that I was personally very passionate about was digital marketing. And we were kind of just dabbling in it at the time. This is, I guess, 2007, 2008. And we had a website for Folgers and we, you know, we had some digital ads, but, but nothing compared to today. And so I kind of knew that if I was going to leave P&G, I didn't want to go do the same thing. I didn't personally see myself deriving enough energy from moving to another packaged goods product. And I felt like P&G was also the best in that field. And so I struggled with how would I move and feel like I was doing something really different. So I really focused my job search on tech and media and did end up at Microsoft. And it was a big adjustment. The pace of the business was really different. The services we worked on were very different. The way we managed global businesses was really different. But there also were a lot of commonalities where the foundation that I had gained at PNG really helped me a lot. Are there any stories about the differences you experienced when you made the jump over to tech? So making the leap over to tech, which I did back in 2008, was definitely a big change coming from the packaged goods industry and, and from P&G. Certainly, my foundational experiences in brand marketing helped. My general management experience helped. My international experience particularly helped. But pretty much everything else was really different, both in terms of how products are built, the role of marketing, and probably most notably, the pace. And at that time, I'll never forget, one of my first weeks at Microsoft, I saw someone's out-of-office message in Outlook, and the out-of-office message said, my apologies, I will not be able to respond to your email as I will be in a meeting for the next two hours. And that made me laugh, thinking, wow, you know, at P&G, sometimes I was lucky if someone returned my email in two or three days. But here was someone with an out-of-office message giving me a heads up that they might not get to my email in the next couple hours. And granted, Outlook was one of our products. So maybe that's why we were email obsessed, but definitely spoke to the difference in the pace in technology and just the sheer number of changes one sees in the technology, whether it be devices and how they evolve or online services or new apps or new competitors. It's just extraordinary how fast things happen. And then it's also extraordinary how, how fast you can innovate and how fast you can respond. And with that comes the, a different risk profile, uh, particularly because you're not often dealing with manufacturing lines or two-year investment cycles. And so you can launch a new app in a couple months. You can launch a new feature every week. You know, when I worked on Office 365, we were launching features daily. And as a result, you have to organize around that. You're not organized around a go-to-market process with gates and dates that take a year. You're organized around... How do I get my team into a rhythm where we can bring new features to customers daily or weekly and drive awareness of those features daily or weekly? So really saw such a difference in how the tech industry operates, how trends get set, and how fast you have to move. And the other area that was really different for me personally was the opportunity to manage across the customer lifecycle because you have access to all this data both in terms of how you acquire a customer, but also how they use your service, how you can then retain those customers in your service and turn them into fans and, and viral effect in terms of word of mouth. 
and you have this ability to manage the customer experience and life cycle end to end, as opposed to turning over such a big part of that life cycle to retailers or not really knowing how someone is using a product without, you know, doing ad hoc customer research. So that also was very inspiring to me. And is one of the reasons I've stayed working in subscription businesses, because I really enjoy looking for ways both to acquire quality customers, but then sustain them for life and, and make them lifelong fans. What's been some of the advice you've gotten from mentors along the way? So when P&G decided to sell the coffee business, I was at a crossroads in my career and we'll never forget some really great words of wisdom I received from my mentor at the time, Chris Hood. Chris was the head of Pringles and I believe he's now at Kellogg's. And he gave me some really inspiring feedback around not feeling like things were being done to me, you know, recognizing that certain things were outside of my control, but that ultimately I was still in control of my career and of the choices I could make. And this was really, really important to me at the time because I was originally thinking I was going to be at PNG for life. I had not expected a divestiture situation to happen and felt like it was unfair and all the emotions that one goes through. But realizing that really I owned my career, I owned the choices, I had control ultimately over those choices was a really, really important message for me to hear. And since then, I have used these words with others going through reorgs or changes and really helping people feel empowered to take ownership over their future and feeling inspired about the opportunities that that brings as opposed to just being dragged down by the perceived challenges of the situation. So I very much appreciate what Chris did for me. And, and hopefully I have returned the favor by, by sharing that guidance with others along the way. A lot of our audience are rising women professionals. And I think what many, many folks are facing is adversity. It doesn't go away. Things aren't solved. Things aren't perfect. Were there ever any moments as a female leader where you kind of had to face up to being treated differently or trying to figure out how to kind of navigate an uncomfortable situation? I think I've been really fortunate. And while I've worked primarily for male leaders over the years, I've worked for companies with really strong values and and low tolerance for inappropriate behavior. I have very much sought out working for companies whose values I really respect. Probably where I felt the most challenged was actually when I worked in Latin America with PNG, partly because the culture was really different. And there were situations where men would, for example, socially gather after a meeting and without going into a lot of detail in locations that were not conducive to women <laughs> joining them. Right, right, right. And I remember a really uh, specific example. I was going to a really important meeting at the headquarters of Whirlpool in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And it was a good meeting. And after the meeting, a number of the executives were going out. And I think I missed some of the signals and didn't really realize where they were going. And luckily, there was a woman who was the brand manager for Ariel in Brazil. Her name's Danielle Bibas, and she's, I think, currently leading innovation at Avon today. She reached out and said, hey, 
you don't want to go to that after party, <laughs> but why don't you come with me and some of my friends out? And it was such an incredible experience as she and I became friends for years. Uh, we worked together not only in Latin America, but ended up both working in Europe together. And she really took me under her wing. And I got to meet a lot of Brazilians. I got to learn the culture. I got to work with her for many years later. And so I kind of believe everything happens for a reason. And I'm really glad she rescued me from what was going to be a bad situation for me. My understanding is since then, I think, you know, PNG cleaned up some of that. And I think a lot of attention was paid to carrying the corporate culture to all parts of the world. But at the time, it was definitely different than what I'd experienced in Cincinnati, Ohio, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I feel like it's this constant needle to thread, right? You, you want to fit in, but at the same time, you don't want to be put in situations that are just going to be awkward. Have you ever found there were moments where you had to kind of change the way you communicated or acted differently to try to fit into a situation? Well, I definitely think having worked in a lot of different cultures, that it's really important to understand the broader world around you and the work culture, not only to be successful in the office, but also to be successful with customers. So for example, in Latin America, meetings don't really start on time. <laughs> you definitely ask a lot of personal questions and check in with people before the meeting starts. And conversely, in other countries I've worked with, whether it be Germany or United States, meetings are more on time to the point, less chit chat. So even just that meeting culture is can be really different and understanding what's important is, is valuable. In Argentina, those relationships were important to getting work done. You couldn't just walk in and say, here's my agenda, let's tick through it. So I think it's quite important. And then from a cultural perspective, especially when you're marketing to consumers, it's so important to understand your audience and how they want to be communicated to and, and what they appreciate. And having worked in, in advertising, a commercial that is super successful in Mexico may not work in Chile, may not work in Brazil, or might work in Argentina. But you have to understand those things, engage with customers. And so it, it's not just important personally, but also professionally to be a successful marketing leader. Yeah, I feel like cultural context, it's not just the way you carry yourselves in, in a meeting, but it's in everything you do, the way you write an email, the way you show up to a meeting. So I want to shift gears a little bit to life outside of work. You have two kids. And where were you in your career when they were born? Well, so actually, I was actually five months pregnant or maybe four and a half months pregnant when I joined Microsoft. So I actually left PNG and moved across the country to Seattle and joined Microsoft. And my first day, I told my new manager that I was going to be going on maternity leave in a few months. So that, that was pretty big, a little terrifying, but it is what it is. And for me, having a family was really important. And you can't really manage all that timing perfectly. So you have to go with the flow. And the great news was, I mean, they were phenomenal about understanding that I never felt bad about that choice. I then had my daughter just a couple years, less than a couple years later, also at Microsoft. But they were quite extraordinary in allowing me to take leave and not have to work during that leave and then adapt as I came back as well. So again, I, I feel very fortunate to have worked for companies whose values match my own and support everyone's life choices. I mean, the next question I always like to ask is, how did you kind of find that balance being a high performer 
at a pretty big complex company. How did you kind of balance the two? I mean, the idea of work-life balance is always a tricky one, but what advice would you give to people trying to thread that needle right now? Look, it's always hard and it's also really personal. I remember actually working on a work-life balance task force <laughs> as an assistant brand manager at P&G. And actually, and this will date me, it was called work-family balance. And there was a woman in the team who, who, who lobbied to say, hey, this really needs to be work-life balance because I don't want to feel like it's okay for my colleague to leave early for a kid's soccer game, but it's not okay for me to leave early to socialize and actually meet someone with whom I might, might want to start a family in the future. And so the company evolved the language to respect the fact that it's not just about kids, it's about your life. And it's really hard. And um, balance is super different for every person. My advice typically, especially for managers, is to make sure you have a conversation with your direct reports around what balance means to them. For some people, it means not working on the weekend. For some people, it means knocking out work late at night so they can focus on the weekend. For others, it means taking a regular vacation. For some, it may mean never taking a vacation. And, and I, I mean, just understanding where people are at and what balance looks like so that you can respect their needs is super important because the biggest mistake I have found is assuming what balance means to people. And I think right now it's uniquely challenging with a lot of us working from home with our kids at home. It's hard to find that balance when your office is a few feet from your kitchen and you're not really separating your work life and your family life. I mean, for me, my kids are both doing full-time remote school. They're upstairs right now as I'm doing this podcast. I've asked them to try to be quiet during this podcast recording, but I'm balancing it too and trying to be a homeschool teacher as well. So it's hard and it's really important to enable the space for those conversations to ensure we all can stay sane through these crazy times. Yeah, I feel like work-life sanity is a current thing we're all experiencing. It's, it's not just balance anymore because the lines are more blurred. And now a word from our sponsor. Today, we're talking to Andrew Tarvin, co-host of the P&G Alumni Pod. Drew, wait, well, what's going on here, dude? What do you mean, Roman? Where you're supposed to be asking me thoughtfully leading questions about my great new ad, Venture Up. Oh, gosh. Does it really come to this, dude? <laughs> what do you mean? Is this supposed to be like one of those public radio pledge drive ads? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Roman. We don't have any tote bags yet. Okay, then what the heck is this about? Well, Roman, you know this podcast doesn't exactly pay for itself. What? Are you trying to tell me that guest microphones and post-interview production doesn't grow on trees? Uh, sadly, no. And you and I do have day jobs and families, so we probably shouldn't be hand-delivering loner microphones to John Pepper or Meg Whitman anymore. We've come so far. I actually had a friend walk a microphone over to Edward Goh's house in Cincinnati once, and I even left one on Salesforce Executive's porch. Right. See, exactly. We've got to step up our game. And by now, you've heard some of the fantastic ads from a number of P&G alumni entrepreneurs, and we're grateful to all of our early supporters. But we also need your help, the listener, to step in too. Yeah, each week, many of you, having worked at or never worked at P&G, tune in to hear learnings from leaders, and we want you to feature on an upcoming show. This is a great way to let people know about your business. Past sponsors include independent advertising agencies, consultancies on both sides of the pond, software companies, fellow alumni podcasts, DTC and retail brands, and even organizations that do good, like the P&G Alumni Foundation and the Freedom Center. 
Sponsor packages are affordable and flexible. They can be single episode sponsorships or we can create multi-episode packages. Want to be the sponsor for a few months and we might even have you on an episode if you've got the learnings. We can even create bigger integration packages with the broader PNG alumni network. I mean, we do know people. Raman, aren't you still on the board of the PNG alumni network? Well, after this ad, I'm not sure for how much longer, Drew. <laughs> well, operators are standing by. We'd love to explore a partnership with you, our favorite listener. Dude, you can't say that. John Pepper, our favorite listener, is listening. Sorry, I meant uh, our other favorite listener after John Pepper and my mom. And my mom. Yeah, so that makes that person the fourth favorite listener. So be a minch, sponsor the pod, and we may even throw in that free tote bag eventually. Email us at pgalumpod at gmail.com. Let's have a chat, and we promise you'll never have to listen to a terrible ad like this again. Uh, Roman, I think you meant to say a great ad like this. I mean, it was full of humor that works. Uh, Drew, I think I now have to charge you as a sponsor. <laughs> I'll have my people call your people. And now back to our show. I actually want to ask a question about the work you're doing. So, I mean, at Amazon Music, you guys have actually done some really interesting things in this moment that we're living in. And there's there's a lot of crazy sideways stuff I want to ask about, but specifically in this kind of hyper stressed moment <laughs> never mind why we're stressed but you guys have done some really unique stuff to kind of i don't know make everyone's life a little bit better can you share a little bit more about that absolutely so first of all i should say i feel like i am in my absolute dream job because i got to combine my love of marketing with music of all things and music is an art form that brings incredible not only entertainment, but value and emotional value to people. It can bring solace. It can bring excitement. It can be a pick-me-up. It can accompany you when you're down. It's just an incredible force. And during these unique times, it's so important that our product and our service is relevant. So I'll never forget you know, when we all started heading home in March and people were on lockdown orders around the world you know, we pivoted a lot of our programming, you know, we weren't going to run a road trip playlist when people were <laughs> staying at home. And more importantly, we wanted to provide the musical experiences that people needed. And so, you know, children's music was increasing as kids were at home, nostalgic music for the <laughs> nostalgia for the 60s and 70s and 80s was on the rise, work from home playlists. And so we we really pivoted a lot of our programming and marketing to be relevant to what people were going through. Probably the biggest thing we did was recognizing that the artists and creators that we were working with were not able to tour and not able to perform and people were not able to go to concerts. And so we recently partnered with Twitch, which is a live streaming platform that Amazon owns to be able to bring live music experiences into the Amazon Music app. And so starting a few weeks ago, we launched this and now 24-7, there are all sorts of artists performing live through the app and, and they can then engage with their audiences and their fans. And so we're doing a lot of really cool things to connect artists and creators with fans, some of which weren't in our original plans for, for 2020, but we just think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I know you guys aren't specifically doing this, but one I've become such a fan of 
in this time. It's like Ben Folds locked up in his apartment in Australia <laughs> once a week, you know, streams a live concert. And I love the fact that the platforms, Amazon included, are, are kind of embracing this new culture because we just need the break now more than ever. And it's everyone's break is different because everyone's situation is different right now, whether the kids are on a Zoom or the kids are in the house. So it's, it's making a real difference. No, absolutely. And we've been a part of a number of charitable related concerts like Stream Aid on Twitch, where it was exactly what you described. It was all of these artists at home. We had a number of artists live on, on Amazon.com from home. I'll never forget, we did a Dua Lipa live stream from her house, I think of maybe in June. And uh, my daughter watched it. She's a big Dua Lipa fan. And she said, wow, mommy, she didn't have a lot of makeup on and <laughs> her hair looked really normal. And she was sitting in her kitchen. And I said, yeah, we're all at home right now. It's not just you. Even these celebrities are at home and they're bringing us their music from home. So I think it meant a lot for people to be able to relate to a lot of artists as well. And we were happy to be a part of a lot of these events where we were also raising money for various charitable efforts, whether it be, you know, COVID related charities, or one of the ones we partner with a lot is Music Cares, which is related to the Grammy Foundation. And, and we've done quite a bit of work with artists helping channel funds to those organizations. So one of the coolest parts of your job is you've had the opportunity to work with some amazing music artists. Are there any learnings, takeaways from them, or just fun stories? So as I've shared, obviously, the opportunity to combine my love of entertainment and music with my love of marketing has been extraordinary. It has really been just an unbelievable experience. And once in a while, there are perks and I get the opportunity to engage directly with creators, with artists, to help them bring their music to their fans. And probably the most epic example of this was about a year ago, I had the opportunity to fly down to Las Vegas to meet in person with Lady Gaga to talk about her forthcoming album release, Chromatica, and how Amazon Music could help her reach her fans and delight her fans. And so we had the opportunity to sit with her while she performed and sang and danced and played the piano and showed us a lot of the new tracks off of her album. She celebrated with us. We laughed. We cried. We heard stories behind the scenes about the music and her creation of that music. And it was just unbelievable. She was so unbelievable. And it was also really helpful to help us think really out of the box and creatively about how we could help her release her album. And it turned out that the album release came during a very challenging time in the middle of, of COVID. So we weren't able to exercise all of the programs that we were going to do with her, but we were able to film a TV commercial featuring Rain On Me, her single with Ariana Grande. We were able to do some really creative experiences with Alexa, where you could ask Alexa for the new album by Lady Gaga. And what returned was Lady Gaga's voice welcoming you to her, her album. And we were able to do some really cool things to help her promote her music and obviously that release was very, very successful and, and one of my favorite albums of this year, particularly in a time where it's been so hard to connect with artists and with no concerts or tours. It's it, it just been great to partner on a release like that and certainly a release that was very personal. 
for her as well. So it kind of goes without saying, Tammy, the world is crazy right now. I mean, things are going sideways and twisting and turning every day. <laughs> and that's not what we thought was going to happen when we launched this podcast, right? But, you know, a question I like to ask a lot of the leaders is, you know, as we watch our world situation just continue to unfold and evolve every day, what are some of like the thoughts and advice for professionals? What are you telling your teams What do you communicate as a leader to kind of navigate this time? It's really interesting. We were one of the first companies to send employees home back in March because initially Seattle was a bit of the epicenter of of COVID-19. And our teams are very dispersed. My team, for example, is in San Francisco, London, LA, Tokyo. And we immediately had to move to 100% remote work. And we did a lot of things to really help people get through it, but recognizing at the same time, we ourselves were going, we're going through it too, and setting up our home offices and helping our kids and all the things we had to do. One of the things that we did that was really important was increasing the lines of communication. And so we established leadership Q and A's, I think virtually every other week on different time zones where people could ask anything. We started virtual fireside chats so people could get to know different leaders in the organization coffee chats where people could sign up to meet people they didn't know at any one of our offices around the world, music performances, if people wanted to perform their own with their own instruments online. And so we just extremely focused on high doses of communication to make sure people felt connected. And then different teams found different ways to stay connected, everything from virtual gaming to trivia to virtual happy hours. I'm, I'm sure we all have had our fill of Zoom happy hours and what that's <laughs> meant for our wine consumption. But <laughs> My liver's not doing so well with all the virtual happy hours. Yes, you're not the only one. But yeah, so we really have tried to do it. Now, it's hard. You know, In that time, we've hired a lot of people, many of whom have never met a colleague. And it's, it's even harder when you don't have those pre-existing relationships. And so I would never pretend to say that it's like normal or we've recreated the office environment. But I do think that we have found ways to stay connected. And look, I feel fortunate every day that I'm in a role and in a, an organization where we actually can do our work remotely. It's a real blessing because that's not true for a lot of people. And we have the technology that we can do that. So I think people also keep perspective and realize, yes, it's painful, but also we are incredibly fortunate. Yeah. You know, it's not a day goes by that I kind of am, I don't want to say reminded, but I need to acknowledge my privilege in this. I mean, I'm literally sitting and talking to you and that's my day job right now, you know? And I think everyone's processing and interpreting kind of what's going on differently. But I think everyone, we all have advantages. We all have disadvantages right now and kind of thinking through those. So I want to ask the question a different way. In this world situation we're in, we could be leading better. And that's not necessarily you and me, but it's people at the top making big decisions. So as a pretty successful leader, who's worn a lot of different hats and manages a lot of people around the world, what advice would you give our leaders right now? (laughs) Well, I probably have a lot of advice. (laughs) Don't hold back. No, I think a few things are especially important during these times. One is certainly transparency. And, you know, one of the things we held up as a tenant in facing our own organizations was being unbelievably transparent, even vulnerable at times about, what's happening, what's going on, how decisions are being made, how we're feeling throughout it. We want people to feel like they can share bad news, that they can share personal news, that they can 
be honest if they can't work a full day because they've got toddlers running around. You know, we we need everyone to be transparent, both employees with managers and managers with employees. And being objective, being honest, being direct, it has never been more important. Clear communication, clarity, what's expected, what's not expected. There were some cases where we said, hey, we know we're not going to meet our roadmap. We know that our productivity is down. Let's communicate and align what we can't do that we were supposed to do in 2020 or what new things we need to do and therefore what things have to come off the plate because of those new things. So transparency, clarity, frequency of communication have been so important for people to trust and not have distrust, especially in a world where you know we're working remotely and not coming into contact with, with each other on a daily basis. So I don't know if that fully answers your question, but those are some values that I hold important as a leader, especially during tough times. Yeah, relationships are taxed right now and context is more important than ever. So I think transparency and trust are just so key. And they're <laughs> I would argue they're they're not where they need to be. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you excited about? Like what what are you working on or what do you see out there that just has you really excited and fired up? So it's a it's a really exciting time to work in digital experiences, digital streaming. Because in addition to the trends that were already underway, we've seen with the current world situation, those trends accelerate, especially in countries which hadn't fully adopted video or music or book streaming. And so there's this unique window of opportunity for people to really discover the value there. And it's, a, it's a just an extraordinarily exciting time to work in this space. I think with regard to Amazon Music in particular, we really have focused on evolving beyond being just a music store with a play button, which essentially is what the original phase of music streaming was. Hey, you can get 60 million songs at your fingertips anytime, any place when you want it. But really working on evolving that to a much broader set of experiences, whether it's interactive experiences with live streaming with artists, whether it's, as you said, we just launched podcast bringing audio content and podcast content into the experience and social experiences where you can connect with members of the music community and members of the music industry through, through the applications and platforms. So it is it is a really neat time to reconfigure and reimagine what should a digital audio experience feel like and how do you make that a real companion in people's lives and and so just in the last few months we've launched a number of things which progress us in that direction but obviously there's more to come not all of which i can talk about but more innovation coming down the road it's so interesting you know when you look at the brands that people love the most these days. A majority of them are, are brands that are now providing services and, and economy that we're in. Everything is digitally driven. It's not, you know, when we were coming up in our career, there was a digital thing on the side versus everything's inherently digital. And the kind of brands that are a part of our day-to-day lives that we obsess and think about daily, they're these digitally experienced brands. It's, it's, it's really fascinating to kind of watch how the world shifted in the last decade or two. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget in our initial foray into digital when I was working on Folgers Coffee near the end of my time at P&G, I remember having a discussion, I can't remember with whom, about 
whether our coffee customers were online. And there was this belief that they weren't. And actually, they were. I mean, they were doing some gaming. They were socializing with friends, certainly not to the degree that they would be in 2020. But I remember having to prove the business case to invest in display advertising, to invest in the website, to invest in (laughs) digital experiences. I'm getting flashbacks to my old day job. Yeah. And so, and again, it's no knock on PNG. I mean, at that time, a lot of the technologies were nascent and some of our products maybe didn't naturally lend themselves. But the world has definitely changed and marketing has changed and the way in which you can connect with customers, not even with digital experiences, like you mentioned, or services, but also with physical goods has completely transformed. And it's so important to stay up to date with that, or it's really hard to be successful in this field if if you can't keep up with the trends, which by the way, change daily these days, as you know, in terms of new services and innovations out there. Yeah. And I mean, the companion brands we're living with today, I mean, Amazon, Google, and Apple are literally not because of the fields we work in, but they're literally in our day-to-day lives, right? Exactly. Ordering diapers or getting the weather or whatever it is. So we've got to wrap up soon. I want to ask a few fun questions. What's something about you that surprises people when they learn it about Tammy? Well, for some reason, and it's probably because I talk too fast, which originated in my debate team days, people always think I'm from New York, but I'm actually not. (laughs) I'm actually a Valley girl, grew up in the San Fernando Valley in LA. So that sometimes surprises people. They usually immediately think I'm a New Yorker. Nice. What's your go-to media escape? Are, Are you more of a movie, book, or TV person? I would say it used to be movies, but it's it's probably now like many people binge watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your guilty pleasure? What's a classic favorite of yours on TV? I think for me, probably the best show to come along in a long time that I've probably watched three or four times is Fleabag, the comedy on Prime Video that is just absolutely brilliant. If you haven't seen it, it's amazing. Classic favorite, actually, one of our COVID rituals has been my kids and I are rewatching The Office. Well, sorry, I'm rewatching it. They're seeing it for the first time. And that has been just absolutely fabulous. They love it. And it's fun for me. I get to explain all sorts of office tactics that they don't understand. What's diversity training? <laughs> and what's, what's going on? Or what's a photocopier and, and things like that. But that's been a real blast. I think we're on season four right now. So we've got a ways to go. But that's probably the highlight of our evenings these days. It's funny. My wife and I, we picked up a, another NBC classic, The West Wing. And it's it feels like we're watching science fiction, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask because of your day job, right? You're a music executive. What's the music that gets you going? Who are some of your go-to artists or albums that you listen to? Well, it's funny. My tastes were always pretty eclectic, but I think they've gotten even more diverse just by virtue of all the music I'm being introduced to at work. I listen to actually a lot of EDM and house music to pick me up. (laughs) I would not have imagined that. Maybe surprising. Absolutely love that and remixes. And well, probably also now that I have a Peloton, like a lot of people... (laughs) I um, enjoy that for exercise. I also have gotten really into a lot of indie and even folk and Americana artists. I'm a huge Brandy Carlisle fan. She actually is from the Seattle area. And the last concert I went to, I think it was February 21st, right before the world came to a stop, was her live performance at Benaroya Hall here in Seattle with the Seattle Symphony that was absolutely extraordinary and would have held a 
really important spot in my heart, even if it weren't the last concert I went to this year. But I love discovering new up and coming artists. Maggie Rogers is a favorite. But I'm diverse. My kids are super into pop. So there's a lot of pop that happens in the house. We have a lot of Alexas in the house. So a lot of ease with which music happens in various rooms of the house, sometimes against my control. But yeah, those are just a few. But I love all kinds of music and love discovering new music. And my job definitely makes that easier. (laughs) So who's someone out there that you would want to get a coffee with or interview on a podcast? Well, this will sound really cliched, certainly from the political spectrum. I'd I'd love to meet Obama, but so would the entire world. Sorry, I think I've probably met him once at a meet and greet, but not really sit down. But that would probably cost me a lot of money. And then from the music sphere, I did have the opportunity to meet briefly Lady Gaga last year, doing some planning for her Chromatica release. And she, just in the short time I was with her, was just absolutely amazing. And I would love to have more time with her. I think she's so creative and so innovative and so ahead of the trends that I think it'd be great to have even more of a sit down with her. Uh, That's really cool. So last question, what's one final piece of advice or a challenge that you'd give to the next generation of leaders? I think I would say it's really about embracing fear in what you do. And that may sound strange, but what I mean by that is it's not just about taking risks uh, that that can sound overly cliche. It really is about feeling some fear when you take on a role. I've made a few big career moves that always had some semblance of continuity with what I could bring to the table, but always had some new element that I was really, really scared of. You know, at Microsoft, I ended up running a data science team. I am not a data scientist. I'm an American studies major. And that was obviously new. Today, I run a really large engineering team within my marketing team. When I went internationally, that was really scary. But those have proven to be the experiences that generated the most growth for me, both personally and professionally, and allowed me to take on my next bigger challenge. And so I would really encourage people that if they're not feeling the fear then find a way either within the your current role or in a new role to create some of that because it's what will aid your personal growth. That's great. Well, Tammy, this has been a really fun conversation hearing about your experience and your journey. And I really want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now here's a preview of next week's episode. So one of the benefits I've found is that I can search and reapply, taking ideas from one industry and applying them to others in food, beverage, beauty. The whole notion of sampling is a very common practice. Well, when I went into fashion retail, no one was doing sampling. Applying that concept became one of the huge growth drivers through many years at Victoria's Secret and actually helped build a billion dollar business. That's it for this week. 
I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Andrew Tarbin. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the P&G Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.